We serve a big God. You know, children have a tendency to brag about their dads. Three boys were in a schoolyard bragging about their fathers. The first boy said, my dad scribbles just a few little words on a piece of paper. He calls it a poem, and they give him $50. Second boy said, that's nothing. My dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper, calls it a song, and they give him $100. The third boy says, I got you both beat. My dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper. He calls it a sermon, and it takes eight people to collect all the money. (laughs) But you know, as a child of God, if we were bragging about our God, our Heavenly Father, then we would never be able to use any kind of words that would uh, be accused of having a pride or anything, because in fact... It is impossible to exaggerate about our God in the slightest. Every place you read in the Bible, it says we serve a great God. And yet story after story, we find people who just don't believe God, who simply feel like God is a small God. Folks, we serve a God whom nothing is impossible. The devil has done a great job at encouraging people to think of God as small. Twelve spies went to look out the new land in Canaan. But you know, only two came back and said, guess what? We serve a big God. And that's what we're facing today. And that's what we face in our country today. We face Christians who see God as little or as big. Psalm 81, if you would please, verse number 10, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth tiny and I will fill it. No. What does that say there, ladies and gentlemen? Open thy mouth what? Wide. God wants big mouth Christians. God wants people who believe God for big things. But my people would simply not hearken to my voice. This verse is about uh, when the people of God, actually it's the psalmist uh, recording that and thinking about that, when the people of God came out of Egypt and all they had accomplished, they might be tempted when they come into Canaan land to think that, well, maybe that's it. God took care of our forefathers and he took care of them, but it's certainly God's not going to do that again. The folks here, God reminds them, I don't care when you live, you need to ask big and then live big. God wants you to have this Canaan land. He wants you to see him as a big God. When we have planned this Sunday at the beginning of the year, uh, early on, when I began thinking about the message, there was one story that just God just kept reminding me of. And uh, this week, as I began to go over the, uh, the nuts and bolts of this story again, well, I'd say, well, there was a certain moment I told Pauline, she came back, said, how'd your studying go today? I said, I'll tell you what, it was one of those moments when as I was sitting there studying, I almost had to say, God, would you stop for a second? Because his, the waves of Spirit of God were just flowing over me. I was just like, even right this moment, I'm still sensing that. Just like, man, God, thank you. And I'll tell you one thing. Uh, I hope you get a, if you get just a little bit of this message like I got, you're going to walk out of here so blessed. Because I tell you what, folks, this message is for this generation. It is for us today. It is for Americans today. American Christians for sure. Let's pray. Father, thank you how you spoke to my heart. 
Lord, we serve such a big God, and yet we put you in a little box. We call you little God. Forgive us, Lord. I pray that today, Lord, everybody will walk out of here saying yes. I plan to open my mouth wide in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Kings chapter 13, please. A little known story from the Old Testament, but a powerful story. Remember now, all these stories aren't there just so we can say, oh, isn't that a funny story? Isn't that an unusual story? We are told in the New Testament they are there for our example. 2 Kings 13, 15. In fact, let's all read it together. I think it's good when you uh, hear the Word of God as well as speak it. Ready, begin. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot, and he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek, till thou hast consumed them. And he said, Take the arrows. And he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice, and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him, and said, Thou should have smitten five or six times. Then hadst thou smitten Syria till thou hast consumed it, whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. The background of this story is needful. Joash, the king of Israel, Israel has been pressed hard by Ahaziah, the king of Syria. Syria back then is like Syria today, unfortunately, a great enemy of Israel. And this demon-possessed king was leading a constant attack on the northern kingdom. Israel's military might was dwindling the morale was down. In fact, in the story earlier, and it talks about the fact that all they had left was 50 horsemen out of that great nation and 10 chariots. Now, Joash was a good man, but not so good. Joash was a bad man, but really not so bad. He actually would be a lukewarm Christian for sure. He comes to see Pastor Elisha. Pastor Elisha has been the prophet of Israel for many years and now has gotten quite sick. In fact, ends up dying from this sickness. By the way, that's what happens. I don't care how good of a person we are. I don't care how godly we are. I don't care how greatly used we are. There is going to be a sickness that's going to be the one of whereof we die. I mean, that's, and that's why we need to do what we got to do now. Anyway, Elisha was sick and so the king comes to see him, wanting to get a blessing, wanting to get some uh, direction, as well as wanting to see his beloved pastor. He was greatly loved and greatly respected. Verse 15, Elisha said unto him, take a bow and arrows. Now in scripture, the weapons that we have in our hands are very clearly a reminder of the weapons that God has given us. For example, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4 says, the weapons of our warfare... Here God uh, likens our spiritual warfare that we face every day. I know some Christians think, you know what, I don't really have any spiritual warfare. Well, you, uh, then something's wrong because you ought to be a, in a fight every day with the devil against temptation, against a busyness or against wrong motives or whatever. But the fact is the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty. They're spiritual weapons. Now, Elisha told the king, now begin to see the similarity here. All of us are kings and priests unto the Lord. You are a king. You are this king. I am this king this morning. 
God told King Joash. God told King Jason. God told King Tim. God told you. Take up your bow and shoot it. You need to shoot your weapons. Now today, America faces many social evils, and they seem to be coming worse and worse, and the devil keeps throwing new ones our way. Many wonder why we are losing the battle against this new socialism that is so talked about now. And make no mistake, it is a demon-inspired conspiracy. But many people feel like that what we need is to elect uh, more conservative people or to emphasize capitalism or free enterprise. But my friend, the answer is not capitalism or free enterprise. The, the answer, actual answer is spiritual weapons, more thriving churches preaching the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We need more word marts, not Walmarts. That's what God is saying here in whatever we do, that whatever thing we face, we need to make sure that it is a spiritual battle and use spiritual weapons. Verse 16, the king said to, uh, or Elisha said to the king of Israel, put thine hand upon the bow. And so he put his hand upon it and Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. Get the picture. Here, Pastor Elisha says, now brother, take up the bow and put it in your hands. Don't just look at it. Don't just say it's a good bow. Don't just say it's a fine bunch of arrows there. I want you to get it in your hand. You were a king. Get your weapons. Get ready to use them. But before you use them, know this. My hand is going to be on your hand. Pastor Elisha, who was symbolic there of the Holy Spirit, God, he put his hand over the hand of God's king. And the fact is, our frail hands need to be overlaid by God's omnipotent hand. And when our hand is on the right weapons, spiritual weapons, weapons like praying, weapons like working for God and serving God, weapons like giving, when our hand are on the right weapons and when God's hand is upon ours, we're going to get something done. Many people say, well, I'm just too weak to win any battle. I don't feel like I can serve God. I'm far too weak. But the fact is, did you know that your weakness can actually be an asset? And actually, conversely, your strength can actually be a liability. Our human strength often belies God's strength. And that's what Paul found out in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. He said, the strangest thing happened. I got sick. I felt like I couldn't continue. I felt like God couldn't use me anymore because I've gotten so weak. And then he said, what I found, however, is that God's strength was made perfect in my weakness. God's strength just shone through. And so the king needed to realize that I must have God's omnipotence wedded to my obedient weakness, and then God can do a mighty work. What we need is not just scholarship. We need a relationship with God. We don't just need ability. We need availability to God. It's not my fame. It's God's faith that he places in my soul. It's not really who I am, it's whose we are that makes a difference in our life. God wants us to look forward to something, do something big for Him. Now, this morning we're talking about our church making a step as it's never taken before, finishing this new worship center. And I will tell you, as you're going to see in a moment, it's a big task. And as you maybe have already been reading a little bit, you might even be a little surprised at the scope and like, wow, that just seems like a lot of money. But, and I will say this, there is no way that we're going to be able to do it because we're weak. Our weakness, however, can be an asset because that's when we say, Lord, place your hand on our hand. 
Now look what it says in verse number 17. He said, open the window eastward. And so here's the king, the king of Israel. He's facing the king of, uh, of Syria, Ahaziah. He's wondering what they're going to do next. He's worried about his pastor. He's worried about his own kingdom. He's wondering uh, what's going to happen. And so the pastor says, open the window. So he's been in a dark room. He's been in a closed up room. And the pastor said to the king, you're a king. Open the window up. You need to open the window up. And notice clearly, he said, open the east window. Why would he open the east window? Because the east window, is what, that was the direction of Syria. That was the direction of his enemy. That was the direction of his fear. And so many of us run from our enemies. So many of us are afraid of our enemies. God said, no, you need to face your enemy. Don't be always on the defense. Take the offense. Open the window. You need to face your foe. Let the sun shine in and let God's sunshine shine on your fear. We need to look out. We need to look up. And that's what he's saying here. We need to push that window open. You know, as I think about the home church, I think about what happened two decades ago when we pushed open the window. No, it wasn't actually a window. We pushed open a door. In fact, no, it wasn't really even a door. It was a garage door. No, in fact, I think it was like an airplane hangar door. We pushed open a door that was far too big for anybody to imagine. 12 acres of land, no services, no gas, no electricity, no structure, and no denomination behind us. No bank, no bonds, maybe no brains. <laughs> you talk about opening up a window and facing your fears. You're going to do what? You're going to develop 12 acres of land? <laughs> do you realize how much work that is? Do you realize all that's going to take? And you're going to do that without a bank. You're going to do that without borrowing. You're going to do that without anybody underwriting you. No foundation, no denomination, no sugar daddy that's underwriting the whole project. No. That's what you're going to do? Are you serious? And yet today, 20 years later, a miracle. Thousands of people every year come to a bustling campus. Why is that? Because we open the window. We show, we, yeah, we probably open up a little too big of a window. But you know what? God wants us to open a window because he's a big God. And look what it says in verse 17. First, open the window to the east. Face your enemy. Then he said, I want you to get the bow in your hand and get the arrows in your hand, okay? But that's not enough. And now we know we have weapons. We know we have power. We know we have strength. Now shoot it. Don't just think about it. Shoot it. Aim it, okay. Think about it, okay. Believe God is good, but now shoot that arrow. Let her fly. Now, while this was also uh, symbolic, it was actually very... Uh, very much of a thing that they would do in that day. Oftentimes when one was going to declare war on their enemy, they would take a spear and they would throw it in the direction of their enemy as a symbol that they were now declaring war and also as an act of faith that they were going to be victorious. They would rally the troops together. They would slam that spear in the ground, maybe like some movie you've seen, and they would say, we're going to win. 
And that's actually what the pastor was saying here. He's saying, brother, you need to believe that God is on your side. You need to trust God. You need to open that window, push it open. You're a king. You're not a pauper. You're a king. You serve a big God. Open the window up. Open the one to the east, to, the, to, the, to your biggest fear. Take the offense. Don't be on the defense. But don't just sit there with the bow in your hand. Let that arrow fly. And notice what it says in verse 18. And he said unto the king, now I want you. And this really is kind of the main issue what we're talking about here this morning. Now I want you to smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice and stayed. Now this was a, he had already given the king, pastor had already given the king an inkling that this was a symbolic. Because he'd already said, remember now, this is the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. It had already given him a sense. Already, so he got a word from God. He had the word in his hand. And he said, now I want you to take those arrows and I want you to hit the ground. Now let's imagine for a few moments how unique and strange this might be in today's scenario. Let's imagine that uh, President Trump might have called uh, the late Billy Graham before he passed away and said, uh, Brother Billy, would you come to the White House? I would love to have you come and talk to me for a few minutes. We face a big enemy. We have Iran. Iran is facing, they're wanting to attack Israel. They're wanting to attack us. We have a great enemy. And by the way, that is very true. And so let's say he called Brother Billy Graham and Billy Graham came and Brother Billy with his white hair, he looked at him and said, President Trump, I want you to take your phone and hit it on the desk three times. And President Trump would have looked at him and said, what? And he might have felt like that was a little silly thing to do. But you know, he banged it on the desk there. And that's kind of the scenario here. There's a king. I mean, we're not talking about just some little child who, you know, they do kind of do what you say. We're talking about a full-grown, intelligent man who was told to take arrows and strike them on the ground. He, the man of God said, though, you need to be obedient. This is an unusual thing we're telling you to do. And the weapons of God are often unusual. And I will tell you the track that we have taken as a church is an unusual track. In fact, it is, and it's, it's so unusual, it has become really a talking point, not only in our region, but literally across the world. They're talking about it all over the world, and our story has gone out. Because here's a people who pushed open a window of an impossible enemy, but it was a king who began to believe that God could use the weapons that he had. Now, the pastor was extremely upset with the king. <laughs> in fact, the Bible says he was wroth. I'm not telling, he wasn't just upset. He was ticked off. He was absolutely livid. You'd say, well, pastor shouldn't have been so angry at this king. Well, let me tell you why the pastor was upset. Because he knew what that meant for the next generation. He said, you could have had victory after victory after victory had you done what God told you to do. My children, my grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, and generations to come are going to suffer because you did not step out in faith and decide to strike the ground. As I was reading this story, the, the fear of God began to get on my soul. And I began to realize, oh God, am I that kind of a person 
who is not giving my best and giving my all? Am I striking the ground once? Am I striking the ground twice? Or am I striking the ground like I ought to five or six or seven times and say, let's do what we can for the next generation and the next generation. I'm not going to be guilty. I don't want to be guilty, oh God, of just striking the ground a few times. Verse 19, the man of God was wroth with him. You should have smitten the ground five or six times, whereas now you'll only have a partial victory. Partial victory victory. You'd say, well, what's the, what's the deal here? Why was the pastor so upset? He was upset because he told him to strike the ground. He never told him to stop. He told him to keep striking. He didn't, he didn't say, strike a few times as much as your faith. He just simply said, hit the ground. The king should have kept hitting an hour later, he should have been hitting. 24 hours later, he should have been hitting the ground because he said, strike the ground. He didn't say anything about stopping. He just kept saying, strike the ground. And that's us this morning. Strike the ground. If a sergeant comes up to you and you were in the army and he said, I want you to start marching east, then you start marching east. He didn't say anything about stopping. If you come to a hole, you go through the hole. If you come to a mound, you go over the mound. If you come to a fence, you jump the fence. If you come to a ditch, you go through the ditch. But I tell you to keep marching. And that's what the pastor said to him. The point of the whole matter is you need to get your heart into this thing. The king is like, he was a lukewarm Christian. I'll just do a little bit. I'll just tip God. I'll just I'll just do a little bit for God. I'll just put a little of this. No heart. No vision of what he was really doing. The king said, the the pastor said, this is not a game, king. Yes, this is a symbolic act, but this is not a game. We're talking about our future. We're talking about our nation here. We're talking about our children, our grandchildren. And I will tell you, friends, we have a great time at the home church. We laugh, and we have great fellowship, and we sing, and we praise God. But I remind you, friend, this is not a game. We stand like Moses between the living and the dead, and God every week sails for us to do what we can. You'd say, well, I know, but pastor, I got to go on a cruise. Folks, I hope you go on a cruise. Pauline and I are going to plan that we get a chance to go on one. I hope you go on 10 cruises. I hope you go on 50 cruises, but my friend, at the end of the matter, I am not going to go on a cruise at the expense of God's Word. I am not going to give all of that and say, well, bless God, I came to heaven, Lord, and I came on a cruise ship. Amen. No, I want to go. I want to go with the, with, the, with the battle harness on. I want to go with a sword in my hand and a spear in my other hand. I want to go with all of my armor on. And that's what he was saying. He was saying, King... You're playing games with God. You just kind of, one, two, three, I told you to keep hitting that ground. And I don't want to face the Lord and saying, you could have had victory, Tim. You could have believed me as a big God, but you're little God to you. I remember hearing the story of one man who got this concept that God's big. And so he just decided that he was going to remind himself 
that God was big. And so here's what he did. Every time something came into his life that was a problem, he would just simply say, big God. I mean, he'd, he'd hear, he'd read, a, he'd read something that came in the mail that was kind of troubling. He would read that and he would say, big God. And then his wife would tell him the washing machine broke. And he would say, big God. His children would come and say, dad, I need money for this. He would say, big God. And no matter what happened, he just simply said, big God. But the truth of the matter is, most of us, the minute a problem comes, we get worried. We get fearful. God's big. We say, little God, little God, he's a little God. Oh, what am I going to do? Little God, little God, I serve a little God. I serve a little God and I'm not a very good person. God wants us to say, we want to, look, serve a big God. Open your mouth a little bit, and I'll give you a few little victories. God said, come on, open your mouth big. Do you realize that God never was upset with anybody for asking too much in the Bible, ever? He never one time was ever upset because somebody asked for too much. But I can tell you there are time after time when God said, you know what? You asked for too little. This was one of them. You could have had victory generation after generation had you given it your all. You'd say, well, pastor, I'm with you, and you are. I will tell you this. This is an amazing church. I mean, just amazing. I tell everybody about how great you people are. You're a great church. But folks, we've got to make this thing happen this year by God's grace. Now, if it rolls to next year or 10 years, I don't know what the Lord wants, but I'll tell you one thing. I want to give it my all. You'd say, well, how can we do? Here's three things. Number one, pray. Three steps in 2019, they all begin with P, helps me understand things. Pray daily, pray as an individual. When you have your family Bible times, once a week or so at least say, pray that God would supply the resources to finish this new building. Put it on your prayer list. Call people, put them on prayer lists. Call Benny Hinn and say, I want you to pray for our building. I don't care what you do, folks, but get them on every prayer list you can. And if you're a widow here, please, would you pray for this? Because for some reason, widows have the ear of God. And if you have a child, ask that child to pray. God hears the prayer of children because they're so full of faith. By the way, just a footnote here. If you've got a big problem, you find a good prayer warrior. Find a little six-year-old child because they pray with faith. Boy, I tell you one thing. So pray. We need to pray. You say, well, it'll happen. It's always happened. God's going to make it happen. It is not going to happen if we don't beat the ground with our prayer. Take up your bow and shoot those prayers. We need to pray. Number two, we need to participate. We need to participate. Now, as you'll see in a few moments, or maybe you've already been reading, there is some extra volunteer work that we're going to need, and I believe God's going to raise that up, and we'll appreciate anything you can do. But the truth is, all of us need to say, you know what, I'm going to participate in this giving whether we're the widow with our might or whether we're Barnabas. Barnabas, you know, in the New Testament ignited that church because he sold some land that he had and he gave it to the church. King David was very wealthy, but he said, you know what? I'm not going to live for my wealth. You never see in the Bible where his plan was to give it all to his son Solomon. No, he prepared for the temple. And I really believe that the overarching purpose for all of us need to say, what can I do for the kingdom of God? You perhaps have heard the story, and it's really, I think, an appropriate one here. The pastor stood in front of his congregation facing something like this, and a big need, need to finish the building. 
He stood in front of everybody. He said, folks, I want to announce this morning, to God be the glory, we have all the money needed to finish that building. The people started cheering. Yes, praise God. Hallelujah. And then he said, but it's all in your checkbooks. <laughs> and the fact is, honestly, folks, I really believe if we decided to get behind this thing, we could make this happen. And God has really blessed some of you. I mean, you're like Abraham. You've been really blessed in your life. And you give God all the glory. Now, you've been wise. You've worked hard. You've been frugal. And you're a good person. And I thank God for that. And I know some people wonder, well, should I give this or should I give that? I will say this. We're not going to get this done if we just give dollars and fives. It's going to take really some significant giving this year. And I believe that the urgency and the scope of this present project is worthy of that. I think we're saying, you know what? This is the biggie. This is the jewel of this campus here at this moment. Pray, participate, and then finally, I will ask your patience. Now, it is possible, and we do need to start strong here in April, but I will say this. It's possible God will just drop on us a big old bucket of money, and that'd be great. Chances are it's going to take a bit to make this happen. And so that means we're probably going to have to keep coming again and again. We're going to have to say it. We're going to have to print it. We're going to have to write it, whatever we need to do. The fact is, it's an urgency. We're talking about the next generation. You'd say, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I get tired of always asking for money. Just, just stop right there. Please. Please don't ever say that, okay? Say it this way. I get tired of them talking about saving souls. Say it that way. I get tired of them always talking about raising up a godly generation. Say it that way. Because remember, every time we say, I'm tired of them talking about money, that's what we're really saying. What do we, we think this is? It's just like we're here just so we want to have fun? Folks, this is about building something for the next generation. This is about saving a, a generation. This is about having God's plan done here in this area. Folks, that's what this is about. It's not just about money. You'd say, well, what, what can we do? Now, it is possible this year that uh, we will finish it. What may be more possible is that we will occupy it. And in the building uh, world, yeah, in order for a public assembly to uh, get into a place, it's called an occupancy permit. That doesn't always mean that everything has to be done. Some of the more cosmetic things, like maybe the brick on the outside or some of the sidewalks here or there, or some of the other things, maybe not have to be done, but we can occupy. I was thinking about that. I was thinking, isn't that something? Even Jesus said, occupy till I come. That's my theme right there, occupy. And uh, with God being our help, may we do so. Let's pray.